Welcome to the Health Ignited Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. What's up, guys? Dr. Nick Jensen here, back with another episode of Health Ignited. Uh, As you can see, we're usually sitting on those chairs behind us. And as in we, my amazing wife, Dr. Sonia Jensen, is not here, as you can tell. Um, Flying a solo mission today, uh, as is the reality of life. We have a busy, uh, busy life, as as I'm sure you do too. We got two kids. She's in the middle of writing a book. Uh, We've got our virtual practice, but also brick and mortar. And so there's lots of stuff going on for us. And so I'm flying solo today, dropping some information as we usually do in relation to your hormones and how that affects your relationships with yourself, with your partners, with your friends, your community, Uh, but also what kind of ways and tools can you implement into your life to optimize your health, to biohack, to just be a better human. And that's what we're all about here, uh, about helping us ourselves, but also you to upgrade your health in a myriad of different ways. So if you're enjoying this content or if you're brand new to this channel, uh, please stay, join us, uh, subscribe and stay tuned on all the latest episodes that get dropped. So we're continuing this month's uh, discussion on uh, the little known or maybe well known, depending, a hormone called DHEA. And so let's dive into that a little bit more. We've talked about it in relation to immunity. We've talked about it in relation to just uh, stress and and how it's being affected or decreases as as time goes on. But let's dive into this hormone into a little bit more detail today so that we can get a fuller understanding. And, you know, who's it good for? Uh, Why does it decline? What's what's speeding it up? And how is it affecting us as men versus women? Uh, So we're going to dive into some of that content a whole lot more. So make sure you stay tuned to the to the content. So let's first talk about what is DHEA. It's a steroid hormone precursor to both testosterone and estrogen. But as we back up, it's actually coming through our diet. It's coming through cholesterol. Cholesterol is the main precursor that then converts down into something called pregnenolone. And once we get to pregnenolone, it diverges. One way it goes on to progesterone and then cortisol. And the other direction, it moves on to DHEA. And DHEA is basically an acronym for dehydroepiandrosterone. Uh, It's a big, long name, so let's stick with DHEA. And DHEA converts into testosterone and to estrogen. So uh, what's the role of DHEA? You know, it does many different things in the body, but, you know, understanding one of the key roles is to appreciate the fact that it's staying in balance or should be trying to stay in balance with cortisol. So as we drive that that gas pedal of stress hormone uh, and drive up cortisol, DHA should be there to sort of balance the equation. And, you know, as we've talked about many times, uh, cortisol tends to drive the bus, so to speak, for many of us as a result of modern life and expectations for work and bringing in income to supporting a family and, you know, dealing with all the external factors that are stressing our bodies out. Uh, it's not uncommon and staying up late. That's another big one, obviously, for, for high cortisol, low DHEA. Uh, all of these things are going to be contributing factors to uh, uh, affecting the speed or the rate of decline in DHEA. 
So as most of us maybe remember, or we're currently experiencing because we're in our 20s, we're usually feeling our best, you know, hormone, hormones are really rising to the occasion up until around the age of 25 to 30. Uh, the prefrontal cortex, the higher functioning executive function of our brain is really coming together. So we should be all systems go uh, by, the, by the time we hit our 25 to 30 uh, year old range. And then with many hormones, many nutrients uh, like NAD or uh, nitric oxide or the hormones that we talk about often, a lot of these things start to decline uh, as we get over this sort of hump. So one could say that that's the best of our hormonal years. But what we find is in practice is there's so much that we can do to optimize our hormones naturally and sometimes through supplementation that allows us to really accentuate that state, uh, that optimal state, you know, well into our 40s, 50s and beyond. And that's what I'm uh, that's what I'm interested in. I want to be playing with my kids and grandkids with a ton of vitality, you know, for as long as possible. And whenever that day is that that I'm no longer here, well, hopefully I can say that I live my best and live without pain and live without illness and dis-ease uh, because I've supported this system that's so important for all of us. And so hopefully we're imparting some of that uh, philosophy into you as well. So obviously this, this stress hormone reality of cortisol DHEA uh, eventually gets tipped in favor of cortisol um, to the point where DHEA starts to climb. And so you never want to address DHEA just on its own in isolation. There's so many reasons for why it can expedite and decline. And in our practice, we often see a lot of people struggling with poor digestive health. It might be really obvious, like irritable bowel uh, disease, like Crohn's, celiac, uh, colitis, or it might be something a little bit more mild, but just as troublesome uh, potentially with irritable bowel syndrome, where it's just constantly having to go to the bathroom, just feeling like a chronic, maybe digestive upset or cramping or bloating or gassy, just feeling really uncomfortable. I mean, it's a sign of an inflammatory load on the body, which is going to burn out these sort of adaptive rebalancing hormones. So as, as we become more and more inflamed or we get more depleted as a result of our poor Lifestyle habits, uh, maybe known or unknown to us, uh, the circadian rhythm stress, like I said, going to bed too late, waking up too early, or just going to, to bed too, too late in general, and just not really rebalancing that cortisol system. Oh, another uh, example would be someone who's just really high or hyperglycemic or constantly pushing in the sugar, the alcohol, or caffeine, and, and just really not nourishing themselves in their body. And so these hormones are really an adaptive tool to respond to the stresses that the body is under. And so you can imagine the many different things that would lead to uh, or expedite the decline of this really important hormone. So as in the case of someone who's truly depleted uh, or more obviously depleted, you could look at the disease model of Addison's, which is uh, understanding that this really important hormone, DHEA, is released in or through the adrenal system. So Addison's disease is basically a hypofunctioning of these adrenal hormones. And so these people are massively fatigued when they get hit with an immune attack, whatever it may be. It's, it's a real undertaking to get them back to feeling good again. And often they're having to supplement in cortisol or cortisone, H, uh, Cortef it's usually called, <clears throat> 
uh, or hydrocortisone is small multiple doses of this of this hormone cortisol throughout the day and often dhea could be added in too to someone's plan a less severe version of low dhea could be just adrenal insufficiency so again the adrenal glands which sit on top of the kidneys are releasing a bunch of different hormones from uh, blood sugar balancing hormones to mineral corticoids which which help to regulate uh, blood pressure to these sex hormones like dhea uh, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. And so these hormones, as they get more and more depleted as a result of some of the factors we just mentioned, um, that can lead to an adrenal insufficiency, meaning that these people have a version of, of what could look like Addison's, but probably to a lesser degree. And so that could look like chronic fatigue, chronic immune insults, allergies, just feeling depleted all the time, brain fog, um, a lot of the things that you might see in Addison's. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you might see excess or high levels of DHEA, which could happen with an adrenal tumor potentially. Uh, but something maybe more common, especially for women, is, is PCOS. And this is a polycystic ovarian syndrome. We have almost like an androgenization of women. So they might experience hair growth, weight gain, acne, uh, maybe even alopecia or, or hair loss. And uh, there's a version of that, which could be all, uh, again, lifestyle induced in men. Uh, might present a little bit differently. Uh, but the hallmark feature for women is that they're actually growing cysts on their ovaries. And this can be for, can be from this hyperadrenal or hyperandrogen function inside their body. So that's sort of like maybe more of a clinical example of someone who's in a hypo or true deficiency of DHEA and cortisol versus someone who's in a, an, a more of an androgenic overwhelm or too much DHEA testosterone, which would be in the case of PCOS. So those are those are kind of some of the variations that can show up in one's life. Um, I think you know what we see in practice is that if people are not addressing some of the core reasons why they're chronically stressed or inflamed, uh, DHA typically is going to decline quite quickly. So uh, the range here in Canada, anyways, is that that the lower end of the range might be anywhere from zero to upwards of fifteen in someone who's in their say forties, fifties. Uh, that that range for where normal is for DHEA starts to decline uh, in older populations. But generally speaking, when I see that DHEA marker get to, say, less than five, less than six, we know that, and that's typically men, but could, all, could also be for women, that's typically a sign that things are starting to, to get depreciated, meaning we were, we've got less gas in the tank, we've got less resilience with that hormone that's so supportive for us. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about testing later on, but that that was a reference to blood testing. <clears throat> so let's talk a little bit more now about um, what about the sort of natural decline. So we mentioned that you know it's going to decline from the age twenty five um, to thirty, somewhere around there. And by the time you're seventy, from the age twenty five to seventy, there's there's likely to be about an eighty percent overall reduction in that DHEA hormone. So it is one of those ones that categorically tends to go down as we age. Now there's always anomalies. We're all, you know, we're all unique creatures. Some people expedite faster than others. I see some patients in our 60s, 70s that have better levels than, than some of our patients in our 20s and 30s. So there's going to be a huge variability from one person to the next. And depending on our, you know, maybe our genetics, our, our upbringing, um, our toxicity burden, our gut health, there's going to be lots of reasons why it uh, you know, speeds up faster uh, in some people than others. So getting into testing a little bit, uh, there's three ways, three basic ways to measure it. 
One, the first is is blood, as I just mentioned previously. Uh, that range could be anywhere from zero to fifteen. Uh, most people in our practice are going to fall somewhere between, say, three and say ten. Definitely, I've seen people lower. I've seen people higher. Um, and and that sweet spot is always a, a unique individual reference for that the person. Uh, but in general, when when it is on the lower end, like I said, below six, five or six. Uh, we, we do see these people more symptomatic for brain fog and fatigue and slow recovery after an immune insult or more frequent infections. Um, they, they could also be depressed or be experiencing symptoms of anxiety. So that mood could definitely be affected. Uh, it can also affect someone's libido. And <clears throat> we mentioned, uh, just regarding like just that mental resiliency, feeling feeling alert and present and being able to overcome emotional stressors. Uh, those are all things that that would show up as a as a problem, you know, when when DHA declines. Um, so we mentioned blood is one. You can also measure it in the saliva, uh, and then you can measure it in the urine. Uh, we don't do a ton of saliva testing. I don't. There's many reasons which we're not going to get into right now why I don't use saliva. But I do like urine. Urine is great because we're getting a four-point measurement. So it's called the dry urine hormone test. You've heard us talk about this before. But you're measuring first morning urine, a couple hours after waking, a couple hours after that, and we're measuring a nighttime urine. Uh, and that gives us what's called the diurnal variation. So we can see the swing in cortisol throughout the day. So we get a much more reflective picture of this adrenal stress on this, this hormone DHEA. And then when you've got that ratio of knowing your cortisol to DHEA, you know much more specifically how that's landing in your life, you know, versus blood, where blood is just an, an overall DHEA-S number. Um, the DHEA value in the, the urine test is in reference to this four-point cortisol, which uh, is definitely more thorough. Now, in saliva, you can definitely measure... Um, DHA over those intervals as well. Um, I just prefer the, the data that you get out of urine versus saliva. So, uh, and as I mentioned, there's something called DHEAS versus DHEA. So just like in thyroid hormone, uh, thyroid can be in the form of T4, inactive thyroid, to T3, which would be active thyroid. And that conversion usually takes place in the liver in, in regards to um, uh, thyroid hormone. DHA does that same conversion. We need DHEA-S to move into DHEA in order for it to be active in the inner mitochondrial membrane where it does all its magic and upregulates growth factors and things like that. So um, <clears throat> let's dive into just the acronym that we usually use for DHEA. So mind, mood, memory, metabolism, and the, the extra M. So five M's would be immune. So there's two M's in immune. So that's why we add it to the list. Uh, so it's like the it's the five M's. So let's break them down a little bit. So mind, we just mentioned that when DHEA is is on that higher end of normal, that that upper range, people tend to be more mentally resilient. So that's what we refer to the mind. Um, there's this mental toughness. There's ability to get through. Um, there's ability to to overcome. There's a sense of uh, purpose and motivation that typically shows up when people have higher levels of DHEA. Now, again, that's not everybody, but that, that's definitely what we see as a general trend. So we know that um, on that level of mind and that level of resilience, um, that resilience can show up or break down in many different circumstances. It could be in uh, with work or with relationships or the mental toughness that goes into just even exercise. So uh, the mind is 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 one of those, those areas that DHA definitely plays a significant role. And then you've got mood. 
So mood, there's been plenty of studies to look at DHEA's role on anxiety, depression. So it has this ability to sort of lift us out of that fog, that veil of um, disappointment or suffering or uh, you know whatever it may be, the triggering mechanism that keeps us in that uh, depressed state. And, and again, when you sort of correlate that mind to, to mood, when we have more mental toughness, more resiliency, we're able to overcome, we're able to accentuate you know, the feelings of getting things done and, and moving us towards our goals. And so there's there's plenty of information to show that DHA plays a, a powerful role on enhancing mood. Uh, the next one is memory. So memory, um, DHA plays a significant role in the hippocampus. The hippocampus is the one of the main memory, memory centers of the brain. And that involves working memory. So when you're needing to access information in the moment, it's not like, geez, I know it's in there somewhere. How do I, you know, how do I... You know, I'm sure all of us have been in this situation where you're trying to, you know, access that that piece of that detail that you wanted to share with you know, your friend, your partner, or whatever, and it's just not quite there. And so DHA plays a role in that working memory. And there's some there's some information to show that potentially it's going to play a role in cognitive decline too. So as we age, DHA goes down. We're higher risk or or greater greater risk for the diseases of aging. Alzheimer's dementia being some of the more scary ones when it comes to memory loss. And so there, there's some positive information to show that as you support and engage or increase DHA levels, that it can have some positive effect on memory outcomes as we age. So again, is it all about supplementing it in or is it looking for the ways in which we're de- getting depleted? And then how do we support our body's natural release of this hormone instead of you know squashing it down as a result of our lifestyle choices, right? And then uh, metabolism. So metabolism plays a significant role in improving insulin sensitivity. So helping the pancreas to release insulin when it's needed and helping the binding of that hormone to bring sugar and energy out of the blood and put it into the cell to make it do its job. And that's hugely important, especially in the world that we live in when insulin resistance is on the rise, obviously obesity, diabetes, type 2, these are huge complications that are leading to downstream issues in the, to the cardiovascular realm. Uh, they say that you know Alzheimer's dementia is type three diabetes in the brain, so you can't access that energy in the form of glucose or fatty acids to really support uh, cellular function and cellular energy in the brain. So, if we have a, a natural hormone that can support insulin sensitivity, we're going to be more efficient with our energy. We're going to be less likely to pack on that visceral fat, which is going to drive that bus of inflammation, which is uh, depreciating the quality of our um, neurological connections inside the brain. Um, so that's that's significant. And one thing I should say back to the mind is that there's some interesting data to show that DHEA helps to increase neurogenesis, uh, BDNF, increasing the brain-derived neurotropic factor to help stimulate new neuronal growth. Uh, and as DHA declines, we're going to get less of that 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 hormone to support that restimulation. So, uh, even in the realm of you know post head injury and uh, traumatic brain injury, CTEs and things like that, uh, we it's more common to see DHA decline. So, uh, DHA again is being stimulated through a stress response typically. So, adrenal corticotropic hormone. Uh, ACTH gets released from uh, the pituitary gland to go down to the adrenal glands to tell DHA to get released. But when we've had a head injury, when there's neural inflammation in the brain, that communication to release DHA is diminished. And so this is why when we're supporting people with CTE or traumatic brain injury or 
uh, neuroinflammation as a result of the gut-brain axis or, or all the many different things that we can get harmed by, pesticides, heavy metals, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that neuroinflammation is going to deteriorate the ability of DHEA to do its job. So many, many roles for DHEA. <clears throat> and again, like I said before, we don't just want to look at DHEA as a standalone, but we want to look at it in the whole, the holistic uh, vision of what it means to have a healthy body, healthy mind. Uh, lastly, we want to talk about immune. So uh, there's some really interesting information to show that DHEA helps to improve IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor 1. We talked about that in relation to immune health, or sorry, uh, metabolic health and insulin resistance, but it also plays a very important role on upregulating our immune response. Um, uh, and one study looked at in an aging population, they added in 50 milligrams of DHEA and it helped to improve this IGF-1, increase the release of monocytes, which are needed to differentiate into B cells, T cells, things like that. Um, it also helped to increase the presence of natural killer cells, which are sort of the the militant army uh, cells that come in and attack viruses, bacteria, et cetera, et cetera. It helped to increase the cytokine communication of interleukin-2, interleukin-6, which can help to bring in more um, uh, mass cells, or not mass cells, sorry, um, uh, macrophages and things like that that help to clean up that inflammatory load and help to support and regulate our immune function. And so powerful role at uh, in seeing this in the aging population by adding in DHEA. Uh, to support this immune response. Um, and as we said, there's lots of different factors that are going to contribute to the decline of DHEA. So we always want to be root cause in our approach. We always want to ask the question, why is this depleting faster in you as an individual versus say someone else? Uh, it's not always the same answer, right? There's a, there's a million little things that are going to contribute to uh, a decline in hormone uh, release. Okay. So now, you know, you might be asking the question, well, there's a ton of things that DHEA is doing in the body. Clearly, I need to add this in. Um, I'm not your doctor necessarily, or maybe maybe I am. If you're tuning in, you are a patient. Um, obviously, this is something you need to discuss with a physician if you're in Canada. Uh, in Canada, it can only be prescribed. Um, maybe different parts of the world, uh, that's the case too. But if you're in the US, obviously, this is over the counter, which is interesting. It's It's a supplement. Uh, but it's also a steroid hormone and a, and more specifically a precursor to our other hormones, um, most notably estrogen or estrogen testosterone. So uh, it is easier to access if you're in the U.S. versus Canada. Um, but again, if we're, we're if we're adding it in as a as a nutrient, it's best to you know consider what your actual levels are first. So we say this often, know thyself, know yourself through your numbers, your lab work, you know, wherever that may be, whether it's through blood or through urine, it's important to know where you're at before you start supplementing in a, a pretty powerful uh, steroid hormone like DHEA. So who's it for? You know, what population of people will probably benefit from? Uh, again, I'm not, you know, recommending everyone do it. It's best to know yourself, best to work with someone. But typically the categories of people that typically benefit, obviously if it's low based on a blood test, uh, but usually it's used more often in men or women in this perimenopause, postmenopause uh, time frame. As we know, as age, you know, sets sets its uh, self upon us, uh, there's this natural decline as we age. And specifically in women, uh, so much of their hormone release is happening through the ovaries. But as you move into perimenopause, menopause, there's this ovarian decline. Whereas in men, typically, unless there's been injury to the testes, 
we have two sites of uh, um, a release, which would be through the the testes, uh, but also the adrenal glands. Where women, it's really the, the the ovarian system shuts down, and as you get into perimenopause, menopause, you're really relying on the adrenal system to really take over the job of both of these systems. So it seems a little unfair <laughs> um, for women in the sense that one of their primary sites of a hormone release really starts to shut right down, and so maybe even more important for women in considering how important it is to support their adrenal system um, as you move into those years of peri and then post-menopause. Um, no, so if someone was to add it in, uh, what does too much look like? If you add it in, start developing excess hair growth, maybe on your back or women on their face, uh, or you know, men like me, sometimes you get little uh, straggly hairs on my ears. Uh, started, you know, hair growth starts to grow in different places as you age and you weren't planning on it. You didn't expect it. It is what it is. But um, that might also accentuate if someone was to supplement in DHEA. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't correlate to the hair, though. So often when people are taking larger amounts of DHEA, it can actually because it's a precursor to testosterone and testosterone is a precursor to DHT, dihydrotestosterone, which is uh, the alpha form of that is the one that's expediting male pattern baldness, but also obviously that can affect women too. So in some cases, taking too much DHA can lead to hair loss. So oily skin, hair growth in places you don't want, hair loss on the top of the head, acne and oily skin. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it sounds like a recipe for d dysfunction. So obviously, if you're going to add this in, you do want to use lower doses. Doses are going to be more, more supportive for your body as opposed to doses that may cause disruption for you. We don't want to be walking around with bald, pimply faces, right? So uh, let's do our best to really be mindful if you are going to add this in. Like I said, work with somebody or start off with a nice low dose. Um, and so we, yeah, so we talked about, you know, who's this for, you know, what to look out for if you're taking too much. Um, and then in, in, and then looking at, uh, you know, what are some other ways that we can support this, right? So when we talk about adrenal health, like that's many things that could be uh, supporting your circadian rhythm. It could be implementing a meditation program, uh, it could be doing some yoga and some mixing up your, your exercise. So you're not just go, go, go pushing it on, say an exercise bike or running marathons or hit every day or CrossFit, you know, finding uh, exercise variation, finding a balance so you're not always pushing the gas pedal on those stress hormones down. Um, super important. And then there's some of the core nutrients, so magnesium and B vitamins and vitamin C. These are some of the core nutrients that are really supportive for adrenal health. And then you could look at herbs. Withania is one of our favorites, but any of the adaptogenic herbs technically can play a role in helping the body just regulate secretion of these hormones. Uh, there's there's no direct necessarily precursor uh, in the in the sort of herbal world, although withania definitely seems to show some benefit. Um, and I think we've said this on a previous podcast too, is that you know we do notice when people are you know optimizing their their lifestyle through implementing some fasting, I guess again not too much, um, improving their metabolic health improving their exercise, improving their diet in general, getting rid of pesticides and, and you know, sticking to more organic type foods, having a more balanced uh, approach to the diet, not high carb, but, you know, a good, good balanced approach to protein, fats and, and low carbohydrate in the sense that as much veggies as you can, um, but keeping those grain carbohydrates where there's more complex high glycemic carbs to a minimum. 
so there's lots of things that, that we've seen in clinic that when people are implementing, their DHA naturally comes back to life to some degree, which is amazing news. And it, it's a sign that we really can rebuild and strengthen and support our adrenal system. And then there's adrenal support in the form of glandular. So, so one could take glandular extracts of bovine adrenal gland uh, to support that system. Obviously, if you're a vegan, you're not going to go that route. So, uh, you know, there's really options for everybody. And, and you know, if someone was to supplement in DHA directly, again, you can't do that here in Canada, but you can do that in the U.S. Uh, I would just say to anyone, you always want to start low. Lastly, I think this is going to be more of a conversation for Dr. Sonia and I, um, but there's some really cool research on using DHEA for fertility. And so the, the dose that's used in fertility is 75 milligrams um, and, and is given to, to women. And it's shown to improve uh, fertility outcomes when doing in vitro uh, fertilization, but also improving natural pregnancy. So a lot of these women that were going through these procedures and some of the studies that were done on the 75 milligram dose were having natural pregnancies uh, just by adding DHEA in at that dose. Um, one caveat that I always think of in relation to fertility is that, you know, if what if your DHEA level is already good and that's not really the issue, right? But then you're supplementing in based on a, a, a study and based on just a, a program that's run. So, you know, at the end of the day, though, I think a short-term dose uh, isn't going to cause any major harm. But what we have seen in clinic is that when, even at small doses sometimes, when women are adding in uh, DHEA, it can increase menstrual flow, uh, which can be obviously very troublesome and um, and depleting for, for women. So it's always important to know that, you know, how a, a dose works for us may not work for someone else. And so it's, it's very individual as in, as healthcare should be, we, we shouldn't be applying generalized approach to anybody. Um, you know, we always want to look through the lens of our own labs, our own, our own health circumstances, our own history, because otherwise we're just following a plan that may work for someone else, but not for you. So with that being said, hopefully you guys have learned a ton about DHEA, how to implement it, when to look for it, when to maybe implement it into your plan, how to test for it. Uh, what's the difference between men and women and, and you know, who's someone that would really benefit from implementing into life? So uh, if you're enjoying these conversations, we, we love having the feedback. It's so amazing to hear who's getting benefit from this. It's often uh, a patient will come in and say like that episode that you shared just really made the rest of the things that you share in our visits make sense, you know, because often, well, always when we're working with someone one-on-one, -on -one, we don't have time to just dive deep into some of these different uh, health aspects or very specific health aspects. And so this really rounds out a lot of the learning that we're doing with the patients in, in our clinic. So, which is why we love this because we can really geek out and those that are interested can stay along for the ride and learn a lot. And, implemented into their lifestyle. And that's been our goal along. So if that's your jam, we would love to have you in a more intimate way, invite you into our virtual world through our Health Ignited Club, where we take this information in this more intimate kind of way. And we, we workshop it together. You know, we discuss different topics, we apply different uh, challenges for you. And then we talk about how this is impacting you on a daily basis. And so that, that Health Ignited Club has been just so fun to get direct feedback in these sort of more intimate uh, communities so that we can see how people are, what they're doing with this information, how they're applying it. And, and when we do that in a community, we learn so much about ourselves 
through the lens of other or what other people are going through so if that's of interest to you you know the check out the description in the, the write-up but we'd love, love to have you as part of our health and club as well so that's all for now we'll see you next week hopefully we'll be back there in those chairs with my amazing wife uh and um filling in those gaps you know the the male brain or my brain <laughs> thinks a certain way her brain thinks a different way and that's why it's been so fun to have this dialogue with a man and a woman husband wife parents you know we've we've got an interesting perspective in the world both being doctors and and doing this uh thing called life together so uh stay tuned for more episodes with her and myself and that's all for now have an amazing week We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe. 